Welcome to the Not Just Any Business Podcast from Not Just Any CPA Firm, Honkamp Kruger. Here are your hosts for this episode, marketing partner and CMO, Nicole Gantz, and marketing supervisor, Amy Bell Qualick. Ladies. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Not Just Any Business Podcast from Top 100 CPA and Business Consulting Firm, Honkamp Kruger. I'm Amy Bell Qualick. And I'm Nicole Gantz. And welcome back for this episode, where we'll be discussing the implications of the groundbreaking decision on the Wayfair versus South Dakota case, as well as some little-known facts about state and local tax, or SALT, and sales and use tax, and the effects they can have on businesses who operate across state lines. Our guest today is HK's resident SALT and Wayfair case expert, Scott Browdy. Scott is the leader of the SALT department and has led the charge in preparing our team and our clients for the aftermath of the Wayfair versus South Dakota decision. At the end of this podcast, we'll have a special code on our complimentary view of your compliance with the Wayfair case. So make sure you listen all the way through and welcome Scott. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first off, can you explain what happened with the Wayfair case and why it's really such a big deal? Sure. Um, This was a landmark court case that overturned over 25 years of precedent. For, For all that time, the nexus standard for sales tax used to be physical presence. And I think it's beneficial to walk through the body of case law that led to this decision. So the the first case that most people think about in the body of case law for Nexus is the Quill decision. There was a, a case back in 92, Quill versus North Dakota. And Quill is a office supply company, and they were, at the time, they were uh, selling their products via catalogs and mailing catalogs into states around the country, including North Dakota. And North Dakota, uh, got wind of that and sent them a notice and said, you need to collect sales tax from our residents. Quill just said, no, we don't want to do that. And they went to court about it and Quill lost. And um, the reason they lost, it went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said that that violated the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. And to kind of give you an idea of the Commerce Clause, if you don't know, it, it protects or it prohibits, rather, states from setting up laws that benefit one state over another. So, for example, in Iowa, there are laws to uh, protect the food supply. Maybe there's there's labeling laws that say if you've got these certain animal products in your uh, food, you have to show those on the label. And they can do that because they are empowered to control their food supply. But they can't make a law such that out-of-state companies shipping into Iowa have to disclose more on their label than an in-state product. That, that discriminates against out-of-state companies. Okay. And so that was the idea here, and that, that's why the court said that uh, North Dakota's collection of that tax would impede interstate commerce. So that established a physical presence rule. They said, you know, you can't uh, be forced to collect tax unless you're physically in the state. Right. And, and that lasted for quite a while. And over the last decade or so, it's become more of an issue for states not to be able to collect because of e-commerce and the rise of Amazon and all that. I think last year alone, uh, there were like $1.6 billion of online sales. And that's a lot of lost revenue, in theory, for those states that aren't collecting from those online retailers. Right, right. And as you can imagine, the states got more and more aggravated and so they had to come up with another way to try to get around this Commerce Clause problem. So the second major case 
is a Colorado case in 2015, Direct Marketing Association versus Brohl. And they said, okay, okay, we know we can't force you to collect the tax, but we're going to pass a law to make you turn over all your customer list to us. Mm-hmm. Because as you, you know, if you buy something from out of state and you weren't charged tax, if it's a taxable thing, you're supposed to have self-assessed that on your income tax return, mm-hmm. which I'm sure everybody does. Right. Yeah, nobody knows that. Right. So Colorado said, we're going to pass a law that you've got to turn over all the customers and we'll just go after them directly. Well, you can imagine that went back to court and they lost at the Supreme Court level. Who, who lost at the Supreme Col- Court level? Colorado. Colorado, okay. Yeah, got shot down again. But the interesting thing about that case is whenever they decided it, uh, Justice Kennedy wrote in his opinion that we think it's time to revisit that Quill decision. And they basically were inviting states to file lawsuits to try it again. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I think around 20 states put laws together to test this, and South Dakota got, got to court first, and they won in the Wayfair case. And in that decision, they said, you know, the way that our commerce is done nowadays. Physical presence rule doesn't make sense anymore. Right. You have mm-hmm. to collect. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got there. And that, that was decided June 21st of last year. Last year. So we're a year into it now. How have you seen entities handling this aftermath in this first year? It's been a mix. Some, some of our clients are really being proactive with it. You know, they've, they've contacted us asking for a list of the states and what their thresholds are. This, this Wayfair case, uh, moved us to more of an economic nexus standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, South Dakota, in that case, their standard was $100,000 of sales in a year or 200 separate transactions. And most states, there are 42 states now that have these kind of laws on the books, and most of those have the same standards because the reasoning is they don't want to put too low of a standard in or risk being sued and taken back to court. So. Mm-hmm. South Dakota passed muster, so they're all kind of the same. So clients are some clients are approaching us, asking for those thresholds and lists and being proactive about it. Some are not, they're just trying to ignore it, not, maybe not addressing it correctly. And I think that's kind of short-sighted because the customer, you know, sales tax is imposed on the customer. And some if businesses aren't uh, approaching that and getting in front of it, they're taking on that risk that they shouldn't have to. So why would a business take on the risk of not paying, not passing on a tax when it's not their tax, tax to pay? That, doesn't, that wouldn't make any sense why a business wouldn't want to just do that right. Um, more than, often than you would think, a lot of businesses or clients get intimidated by the complexity of sales tax. There are, by the time you count all the states and cities and school districts and municipalities, there are over 10,000 different taxing districts in the U.S. And it, a lot of clients aren't comfortable with sales tax, and so they just choose to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been uh, we've had this service for quite a while at Hankam Crew, and I will say it is one of the most needed services and one of the most complicated to explain to clients. I think we have seminars and webinars every other year at minimum, and it's our one of our most well attended topics. So yeah, there are probably when you consider all the different state taxes, whether it be uh, property tax, income tax, sales use. Um, unclaimed property or taxes on alcohol or tobacco, things like that. I would say nine out of 10 questions I get are sales tax because they struggle with it the most. Can you walk through the elements of the Wayfair case? You, you brought up the history of it, but did, if you just walk through the elements of what actually happened in this case. Sure. So 
after that Colorado case, states were pretty much invited to sue. And so South Dakota put this put a law in the books saying if you if you exceed $100,000 of sales or 200 separate transactions in a year's time, you're deemed to have economic nexus with our state and we're going to force you to start collecting tax. That got to the Supreme Court and they analyzed it and there were arguments for and against. I think it was a 5-4 decision. It was a pretty close decision. And like I said, writing for the majority, the court felt that um, the way we do business is different now. The old physical presence rules don't make sense. Everything's online now. And with uh, at the advent of advanced software that exists now, like we have clients that we help install Avalara, which is a pretty popular sales tax software, that the court said, you know, it, we know it's complex, but there, there are tools out there to help you get it done. The dissenting opinion kind of revolved around the feeling that, you know, the court shouldn't have to intervene in a case like this. Congress could have fixed that problem a long time ago if they would work together, but mm -hmm. they don't seem to want to do that lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or ever. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the, the major pros and cons against how the court fell down on the opinion. So um, we like to do a little segment on this podcast called How Did I Not Know This? And we kind of touched on this a little bit at the beginning. But when it comes to this topic, what many don't realize is that it actually affects the consumer just as much. Like I got emails from some of my online retailers that said, hey, you're going to be charged sales tax now. So can you talk about the ways that consumers are feeling the effects of this case? Yeah, I, I've had friends and, and clients talk about this with me and they ask questions about it because a lot of you may have... Uh, so you might see an infomercial on TV and back in the day, and it'll say, like, New Jersey residents add 6% tax. Mm -hmm. That's because it was under those physical presence rules. And so if you were ordering from out of state, and like I said, I'm sure not everyone puts the tax on their own return right. at the end of the year. But, you know, they were getting away with that margin mm -hmm. of it could be 5 to 10 11% in some cases. And now that that's more and more uh, companies are having to charge that tax. Customers are feeling it, and mm -hmm. they're hearing about it. I would go shopping out of town, and if we that store didn't exist in Iowa, I would ship it back and avoid the tax. And uh, that did not happen last time I mm -hmm. shopped out of town. I had to pay the, the tax. So yeah, I think the I other was I was feeling that one. <laughs> I think the other big change, and it it's kind of helpful in my opinion. But a lot of the clients that we help that are going through sales tax audits. Part of the audit process is looking at what invoices that they didn't pay that they when they bought materials to oh, use in sure. their business. Mm -hmm. And there's exposure there a lot of times because, again, companies don't feel comfortable with this in a lot of cases. But I think as Wayfair takes hold and more and more companies are collecting tax in the first place, you're going to have less uh, use tax exposure on the back end, which I think is beneficial. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. So on that note, if I own a business and I sell online across state lines and I haven't been implementing anything new since the Wayfair decision, what am I at risk for at this point in time? As I said, 42 states have these type of laws on the books now and it's on everybody's radar. And there's been a, a, a grace period in a lot of states where they're get, giving you time to get acclimated to it. Sure. But... I think that your audit risk is going to go up exponentially now with these laws in, in place. And there's a lot of uh, ways that states can get at you. I, I get a, 
a lot of clients that ask me after they're aud selected for audit, you know, how did this happen? It can happen a lot of different ways. It, it could be a referral from the IRS or from another state. I mean, Iowa is in a compact with, I don't know, five or six other states. And if one state audits you, they all will get your information. They share information back and forth. Oh, wow. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and a few other states. The greater Midwest. Right. <laughs> like, I'm from Indiana originally, and Indiana's in what's called the Great Lake State Compact, mm -hmm. which is uh, seven other states. Mm -hmm. So they all have kind of grouped up together and are swapping information around. And, you know... Beyond that, you've got risk of being, you know, maybe you have a customer that gets audited and, and you show up as a vendor on their list. They could come after you mm -hmm. next. So there's a variety of ways that ha that happens. So, I mean, as these grace periods end and as this year goes on, do you see more um, audits and call-outs coming out as a result of this decision? Like penalties getting heavier, um, people aren't going to be able to get away with it for much longer? Yeah, the time's running out on it. They started, states started really enforcing this back in July, like even 30 days after that case passed. Oh, wow, yeah. And we saw several states start enforcing in July. Iowa started enforcing January 1st. But there are all about on board now, and those grace periods are running out. So mm -hmm. it's, you really need to take a look at this sooner rather than later before they, they contact you. Right. And you said that there are 42 that have laws on the books. What's going on with the other eight? In the United States, only 45 states have a sales tax. Right. And as I said, 42 states have these laws on the books. The three that don't are Florida, Missouri, and Kansas. And they have not happened yet for various political reasons. I know Florida, they, they had a bill set up. To, to pass, but it just died out before mm -hmm. the session ran out. Mm -hmm. In another state, I want to say it was Missouri, they, they had a law put together and the governor refused to, just flat refused to sign it. Mm -hmm. I, I think that those three states are eventually going to enact laws, but that's kind of where that's at. Okay. It's just mired in the political process right now. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, we also like to do a section on the podcast called What Alexa Can't Tell You. Um, so. Beyond Wayfair, what is it that Alexa can't tell you about the impact of state and local tax or SALT or even sales and use tax on your operations bottom line? Yeah, I, th I think the biggest thing about this, as I said, there are a lot of different indirect taxes that companies have to deal with that you, they may not think about. I know in our firm, uh, you know, we spend three, four months really focused on income tax season and mm -hmm. everybody's sweating their income taxes. Mm -hmm. and yep. As a, a state and local person, I kind of look at that and I go, yeah, that's that's neat and all, but I mean, you've got these other dozen taxes that people, they, they just don't get the attention that mm -hmm. income tax plays. Right. And I, that, I think the message there is just you want to, we have the resources at Honkamp Kruger to, to address all those taxes. We, we've done a lot of really interesting things on a variety of issues, and we just I want to encourage our clients to reach out and, and address that. Right, because I mean, depending on what state, county, municipality, like you were talking about, or even your industry, what you do if you're manufacturing, I mean, taxes affect everybody in kind of a unique way, especially these salt taxes and sales and use. Right, yeah. Um, manufacturers are going to have different 
issues than construction companies, than mm -hmm. energy companies, than transportation companies. Before I went into public accounting, I worked for a publicly traded utility that had a lot of different companies in that umbrella. They were kind of vertically integrated. So we owned coal mines, natural gas trading companies, power plants, and they all have their own quirks. Right. That's no one size fits all. No. At all. No. Yeah. I know you've been making it a focus to work with clients on cleaning up their compliance part of it. Uh, can you tell a story about someone you worked with and what you found for them? There's some engagements that we do. I call them reverse sales tax audits, where we'll go into a, a company and look for opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, Maybe they've overpaid on items that they shouldn't have. You know, one example that we did recently, we, we were working with a manufacturer and Manufacturers generally are exempt on every th equipment used inside the manufacturing process. But what defines the process varies widely by what state we're talking about. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like in Iowa, for example, they say that the process starts at where raw materials are held in storage all the way through packaging. But in Indiana, the process starts at the, quote, first step of production and goes through packaging. So mm -hmm. you've got a gap there on the front end, right, mm -hmm. that you could cause exposure or overpayment in. And so we were helping this Indiana client that got audited and they were, they had a system where they had silos outside full of uh, solvent and stuff like that, materials that they used to make rubber uh, window stripping with. Mm -hmm. And it used, they used like a vacuum system to pull that in to the first step of production and weigh it because you got to have the formula right and all that. Indiana, like I said, they, they don't give you raw material storage. So they were trying to assess all that equipment as raw material holding. But we were able to go in and argue that this system measures that product specifically so that the manufacturing process can begin. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we think that's first step of production. And we won that argument. Mm -hmm. So that it saved them about $15,000. Yeah, and that's nothing to scoff at for sure. So would you say, I mean, this is a pretty good example. I mean, you said there's other ways, though, that companies can be missing out. I mean, do you have other examples of something different other than uh, the raw holding portion of a manufacturing process? I mean, there, there's a million different sales tax opportunities, mm -hmm. but we had a property tax opportunity that was pretty big that we, we saved on. We, we have uh, other accounting firms that call us for assistance mm -hmm. because um, state and local tax is not really an area that's taught in college. Mm -hmm. If you have an accounting degree, you're not gonna learn this stuff. So not every accounting firm does state and local tax services? No, not, okay. not to this level. Okay, because one might assume that every CPA firm would do that because the word is taxes in the title, yeah. but that would not be so. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of expectation from clients that firms are doing more than they actually are. And um, like I said, this is an area that's, state and local tax is not taught in any accounting program in the US. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm and it's not on the CPA examination. So the only wow. way you get really good at it is years of experience. I've been doing this 20 years. Wow. I've been through a thousand audits in 35 states at yeah. least. I can tell you have a passion for the subject and helping businesses with it, yeah. so yeah. It's, like I said, it's an opportunity I think that is neglected and there's, there's mm -hmm. plenty to do there. But to your question, I, I can think of another case where a firm called us for assistance on property taxes in Texas and they had a client that was a auto parts manufacturer. And that manufacturer had a warehouse in Texas that had about 
$3 million of goods in it, mm -hmm. of inventory. Now, most states don't tax inventory for property taxes, but there are 12 that do, and Texas is one of them. Okay. So the accounting firm was putting all that $3 million of inventory on that client's property rendition. Right. And they had me look at it, and what, what people don't realize is states have, those states that tax inventory has, have a rule called the Freeport exemption, which says that if you can show that a portion of your inventory is going to be shipped outside of that state within a certain time frame. In Texas, it's 175 days. But if you can show that that's going to be shipped out, they, they will exempt that inventory. And so mm -hmm. I was able to prove that 90% of that inventory was going to leave Texas. And so mm -hmm. long story short, we saved them $100,000. Wow. wow. Can businesses go back? Um, Unfortunately, for property taxes, you can't go back mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because what happens is with property taxes, like when they assess your home or whatever business property, you know, the process is that local government comes up with their budget for the year and it's a fixed amount of money. And so they, they're going to get that money no mm -hmm. matter what. So what they do, that's how they come up with assessed values and all that to come up with and the tax rates to come up with that formula of what, what they need. And once that's locked in, you mm. can't really go back. So you need to be very proactive. Pro yeah. Pro uh, property taxes are definitely an area that you want to get right the first time. Are there any other areas that you can go back? Yeah. Sales tax, you can go back generally to the state statute of limitations. So like in mm -hmm. Iowa, it's three years, for example. Okay. Okay. So that's good to know. So you want to be proactive, but if you're unsure, definitely get it looked at for anything that could be right. back taxes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So where should companies start if they aren't sure if everything's in compliance? I and mean, we just talked about this. I mean, maybe they're overpaying or underpaying somewhere. What's the first step? You know, my first advice would uh, to tell that client or prospect to take a look at their operations. You know, consider a nexus study, mm -hmm. which is basically a process where I, I come in and look at a company's sales by state look at how many transactions you have in the state to see where you might have economic nexus, ex nexus exposure. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, talk to the company about how their operations are run physically. You know, maybe you have employees in other states and you're not handling taxes there correctly. We're looking at your physical footprint and the economic footprint. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to put together. So, um, so do you have any last words for anybody out there that you would like them to know about Wayfair, state and local tax, sales and use tax, anything that you're trying to get the word out on? I would just say don't don't take it lightly, especially sales tax. Mm -hmm. it, it's, I tell people it's kind of like your blood pressure. I mean, you don't realize when it's getting out of control until it's too late. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely, and it's so needless to not treat that correctly when it's a tax that you could get from the customer or the end user. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if you take on that risk yourself and then you're audited three or four years later, you know, that customer might be out of business or gone or sold. and Or know. not interested in paying you a tax yeah. a few years yeah. later. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just something that is so preventable. Absolutely.
That does it for today's episode. So thank you to Scott Brody for sharing your insights on this topic that's hitting a little closer to home every day. And thank you to Happy Smith Productions for producing this episode. So the code to take advantage of our complimentary review of your wafer compliance and SALT issues is SALT. We'll just keep it easy. So S-A-L-T, you can call us at 888-556-0123. Email us at info at honcamp.com or shout out to us via our social media pages with the word SALT and we will give you a complimentary review. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future hot topics and we'll see you next time on the Not Just Any Business Podcast.